Hey friends, Pastor Andrew here. Thanks for taking the time to listen in on our sermons here at Asheville First Church of the Nazarene. We post these even though they were preached in a specific time at a specific place to a certain community of people, hoping that God still might use them to speak to you wherever you are. As we turn to your scripture, Lord, I just pray that you'd bless this time. Lord, you know the limitations of my mouth and my mind, Lord. You know the limitations of what, how I might share things, but I believe and we believe in your spirit as able to turn these feeble words into the music and the power of the gospel for us this morning. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible with you, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 10. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know that you were looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has been raised as he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has been raised from the dead and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them and said greetings. And they came to him and took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to the Galilee. There they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Christ is risen. Amen. Those are three small words. Three small words that... Well, really, they've changed how I see myself forever. They've changed how I see the world and understand reality as a whole. They are three small words that I believe can change everything for us. What I'm going to ask you to do this morning is to trust in those three small words, that Christ is risen, and to see how that changes everything. I I know a lot of times some of us... um, Some of us maybe get confused. Some of us don't see how it fits. Some of us don't see the significance in our lives. We we think it's just maybe another Bible story, and we struggle to realize how game-changing those three small words are. I was reminded of this. I I had a friend who uh, we dearly love and we've been friends with for a long time, and she's been a committed Christian and uh, just served the Lord in, in wonderful ways. And she called me this week, and she said, you know, Andra... I need help really understanding this. And it made me realize this was someone who grew up in the church and has devoted her life to Christ, but sometimes we've done a bad job at explaining how and why this is so significant. What really happened 
and Jesus' death and resurrection from the dead and what that really means for us 2,000 years later. Sometimes we've done a bad job. We've used a lot of church language. We've used a lot of uh, big words. So today, I just want to put it as plainly as possible. And I really, I'm going to try my best not to use church language, right? Insider language. I, want, I just want to say it very plainly. Um, I want to go through the story because really we can't understand it without fitting it inside the story of humanity and our story with God. So we have to talk about the story. But also I just want to say there's something about, if we're going to talk about God becoming human, if we're going to talk about God dying and God being raised for the dead, we might want to say those are, those are things that are beyond just simple words and comprehension. They are things that we have to sing about, that we have to write poems about, because they're beautiful and they are kind of beyond us and we'll never fully put it in a box to understand it. So that's why we do sing. But I do believe if we fit it in the larger story of humanity that it can become plain to us. And so that's what I want to do, is just to put it plainly as possible for us this morning. But that means we, we need to kind of go back to the beginning. And, and bear with me, we'll, we won't hit, we'll just hit the, the main highlights. But what we believe is that God created the world, right? And I know many people, maybe even in your family, many people scoff and say, oh, that's just another holiday where they're, they're celebrating a man raised from the dead, but we just know that men aren't raised from the dead, no one's raised from the dead, and, and people scoff, right, at Easter and say, oh boy, they're just believing in fairy tales. Well, we start with God made the world, and that's what we believe, because if it was, everything was logical, if everything came from what came before, and if everything was a cause and effect, we shouldn't be here, right? Nothing should exist, if everything was just the cause of what came before, there should be nothing. And yet, here we are today. There is something and we have life. And so we, the people of faith, have just simply said that God created. I, 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 don't, I don't put much stock in trying to argue about how God created or how long ago God created, but simply we just affirm that God created. And we also believe that God created a good world. I, I don't want to believe, I don't, I don't want to be connected with a God that doesn't create a good world, Right? Um, that God's creation was good and that he created to be in relationship with his creation. He, he created out of love, we believe. And if, if there's an alternative, someone tried to talk about, I, I really wouldn't be, uh, want to be connected to a God that didn't create out of love and have a relationship with his creation. So we believe that God created a good creation to love him. And we believe he created humans to be in relationship with him, but to also reflect him in the world, that he created us so that we might represent God to all of creation and that we would reflect the love and who God is in the world, right? I hope you can connect with that just on an experiential level. I hope you've felt the goodness of life and creation. When you maybe felt the love of another person, when you see that sunset setting over the mountains and the beautiful area we live in. I mean, when, I, when I've seen my son grow up, just the little toddler he is now, and I see him look at me and smile, I feel the goodness of this world. I feel the goodness of life, and I hope that isn't a stranger to you, that you can say, yeah, 
I see the goodness in this world and that we believe God created a good world. But I also, on that same breath, we also feel that there's something wrong with the world, don't we? We feel that there's, there's something broken. I, I don't think I have to push the issue too far for us sitting here today to say, I- I've been hurt. My life hasn't gone 100% smooth. Not every day has been easy. There's something amiss in this good creation. Yeah, it feels good, but there's a lot broken and painful in it. That not in my choice that I stepped into the world and, and things began to hurt me, I began to see things that scared me. I mean, the stories are endless in our congregation today. You're not alone. Martha, you you watched your husband suffer from Alzheimer's for five years only to lose him a few weeks ago. You felt what's wrong with this world in seeing him suffer. Brother Ray, you lost your wife to cancer way too soon and watched her battle with that. Some of us in this room... As children, our our parents abused us of no fault of our own. Some of us in this room have done shameful things to other people that we would not even speak to anyone. Some in this room have suffered from family members or friends. Some of us have stolen or been stolen from. Some of us have been hurt in unspeakable ways. And in fact, as pastor, I I just know the multitude of ways this has happened in our congregation. And I I know that if we went around this room, there is not a person sitting here today that has not been wounded and hurt in very real and powerful ways. I don't have to tell you that there's something wrong with this world. We woke up this morning with news that people planted bombs in churches and killed nearly 200 people who were worshiping on Easter morning. I don't have to tell you that something is wrong with the world. And I'm pushing this issue because we have to realize what is wrong to see what we needed, right? Let me put a little language for us to what's wrong with the world today, because this is key for our understanding of Christ and him being raised from the dead. First, we talk about, and this, this is one of the few church words I'm going to use, so bear with me. We talk about sin. And I know a lot of us don't like that word because it's been thrown at us in judgmental ways, or it sounds judgmental, a churchy word, but really all we're talking about with sin is that anything we do that causes harm, anything that harms myself, anything that harms someone else or harms God's good creation, it's any action that I do that causes harm. What we see in the world is that sin is a part of the brokenness. And sin doesn't stay in its own single activity, but it seems like sin causes a domino effect. Now some of us, perhaps when we were little, let's say we got punched in the face and we learned very early on that we had to protect ourselves and, and fight back. And so that one punch didn't stay just one punch, but it led us to a lifetime of throwing punches, did it not? What we just recognize is that sin seems to spread like a disease, that it doesn't stay in isolated events, but it starts a domino effect. 
And that domino effect becomes so strong and, and it seems like it, it multiplies and multiplies, but it's just not sin. It's just not certain activities that we do. There seems to be in the world a force that's pulling us towards sin. Because any country you go to, any culture you go to, you're going to see very similar harmful activities happening, right? It doesn't matter what language you speak, there's always greed, there's always oppression, there's always wrongdoing, there's always violence and hate throughout the histories of humankind. And so we look at it and we say, it's not just individual behaviors, but there seems to be a, a power, a force that I want to call evil, pulling us towards sin. And th this, this pull, it's kind of like gravity. We can't see it, but we can just ex we can see it around us, and we can just see that since everyone sins, not one of us hasn't caused harm in the world, that there seems to be this gravity pulling us towards sin that we can't break away from. But it's not just sin and evil. Most of us and many of us have suffered from death. Death doesn't just come after 100 years of good life. Death comes far too early often. Death comes as a result very clearly from sin and evil, right? If sin is causing harm, often that harm leads to an untimely death. It, death seems to be waiting for us just to mess up so it can snatch us away, does it not? Death is an enemy to the good life. And what I want us to see is that these things aren't disconnected, that sin, evil, and death are in cahoots. That sin and evil feed into death itself, and the fear of death lead us to sin and evil sometimes. I want us to think about it as a cycle, a wheel, if you will, a wagon wheel that has been going over God's good creation, trampling everything underfoot. No matter who you are, where you lived, sin, evil, and death has been haunting us from the very beginning. It's a wheel that has been destroying God's good creation. I hope that I didn't lose you in that, that that makes sense, that's just something we experience in our lives. And so who, who do we blame for sin, evil, and death? I don't want to believe that God introduced that. That doesn't seem like a loving God to me. I don't want to be associated with God that introduces such things into the world, right? I'll say it, we also don't believe that there is an equal to God. Sometimes we talk about it like this, but we don't believe that there's an equal to God that forced sin, evil, and death into the world. Because that would mean that either God's not all-powerful or that he, he just gave up and said, let that power introduce those things. We usually, sometimes we think of the devil. We're not a dualistic faith. We don't believe that the devil would have that sort of power. Well, who's left then? Us. What we believe is that when God created us, he gave us free will, and he won't override that free will. And when we have free will, we're, there's always an option to choose against God and what he wants for us. There's always an option to choose against sin. The beginning of the story of God's creation is also the beginning of the story, how we chose against God to go our own way. God wanted us to be in a loving relationship with him, wanted us to be in harmony with all things, and yet we chose not to reflect God's goodness, but we wanted our own way, and we introduced sin into the world. And what we're talking about is once we 
sinned, once we started causing harm, we started the wheel rolling. We pushed the wheel, and yet we've never been been able to stop it. No matter what we've tried, we cannot break the power of sin, evil, and death in the world, and it's been trampling ever since. So if you're God at this point, you might just say, well, I tried, right? I tried. I I created a good world, and I did everything I could, but they went another way, and I gave them free will, and that's just the way it's going to be. That's not the type of God that we find. What we believe is that God intervened, that God loved the world and he didn't give up on us. And what we believe, and I'll, I'll shorten the Old Testament into 30 seconds. We believe that God intervened and he came to a, an elderly, barren couple. They said, I'm going to use you to show the world what I really want for all of us. I'm going to use you to show the world what the goodness I want for all creation to use. So he chose this people and he showed them what the good life was. He showed them how to avoid sin and what, what sin and harm did and, and was. And, and he brought them out of oppression and he led them. But almost from the very beginning, they replayed that same old story time and time again. They chose against God and they chose to serve themselves and other idols, right? It's not because they were any worse than anybody else. It's a story of humanity that they just couldn't break away from the power of sin, evil, and death. And the Old Testament sometimes look like, looks like a messy affair because it is. It's a, sto- it's a story of humanity struggling to break free from sin, and yet we couldn't. At this point, if you're God, you can say, okay, I tried. I, I showed them what the good life looked like, and yet they just couldn't live up to it. They couldn't And he could have said, I'm done, but he didn't. Even God's own people realized, they said, we we can't do this on our own. We need someone to come and to free us, to save us. Save us from what? That power, that wheel of sin, evil, and death that kept on trampling everyone underfoot. And that's what we believe happens in the person of Jesus that God intervenes once again. And he says, I'm going to come down there myself. I'm going to come down there to save and to rescue not just the chosen people, but all people, all good creation. He came to free us from the power of that wheel that we couldn't free ourselves from. The power was too great. And so he came in the flesh and dwelt among us, we believe. That by itself is a miracle. We, we celebrate that at Easter. And Jesus came, and he came teaching us what God was like. We needed to know what God was like, and we believe he showed us what God was like, and he, he came talking about a kingdom. And really, that's just kind of church language for He started talking about a way to live that reflected God, a way to live as he created us to live, Right? a way to live free from the power of sin, evil, and death. And this is God. He didn't come saying, I'm going to sit on a powerful throne. I'm going to have people serve me. I'm going to have... No, he came poor and humble, and he came serving people. 
And you know what we did? God came down and took on our weakness, our brokenness to serve us, to show us the way how to live that good life that we were created for. And you know what we did? It shouldn't be a surprise by now. We replayed that same old story once again. We said no to God. We refused him. We said, this doesn't look much like a rescue effort. You're not amassing an army. You're not trying to fight for political office. You're not killing anybody. This isn't a rescue effort. We don't need you. It's because we had bought so much into the power of sin, evil, and death, we didn't recognize God in the flesh. And in fact, what's worse, we didn't just refuse God. We betrayed him. We locked him up. We threw him in prison. We did a phony trial. We beat him. We dressed him up like a, a fake king and spit on him. We tortured him. We did everything we knew how to do. And in fact, if you're reading the gospel stories, you have to begin to believe and see that it's not, it wasn't just our decisions refusing God. It was that. But it also seemed like all the powers of evil, that the powers that have drawn us towards darkness, all the powers converged on this God in the flesh. So that at the beginning of his birth, Kings were killing thousands of babies just to try to kill this king before he ever spoke his first word. Throughout his life, he was haunted by those who were opposing him and the powers that tried to fight him. And at the end of his life, it's actually if really, if we think about it, not in the church context, it really is a scary picture that this man who never did anything wrong, who never harmed anyone, that the forces of evil gathered on him in such a scary way. That it was the religious leaders who wanted to keep their power. It was the political leaders that wanted to keep their power. And the people's answer to say, no, we don't want God. And so we crucified him. We executed him like a common criminal. He was just one of a thousand young Jewish men who were crucified by the Roman Empire during this time period. And it seemed like the power of sin, evil, and death, that wagon wheel that we couldn't escape from, it seemed like it came all crashing down on this one man and defeated him. It seemed like he was just another victim. And after that, you have to begin to wonder well, maybe he wasn't God in the flesh because he suffered a lot and he seemed to lose out to the power that we've been losing out from the very beginning. And if he was God in the flesh, then you might want just think at this point, then now God should really give up on us. I mean, time and time again, God's come into the world trying to show us the goodness and his love, and yet we refused him. And now we had our hands on God in the flesh and we tortured and we killed him. What should God do in response to that? If nothing else, if I'm God, I'm done. And yet this morning, 
we read a new story, a different story. We read that some of his followers, some of the women followers, love this man so much they are going to the grave, it seems, to anoint the body. They're shaken, they're afraid. They've just seen the power of sin, evil, and death in the world come crashing down on the one they loved. So they go to the tomb, but they hear from the angel of the Lord three small words that will change their lives forever. He is not here. He is risen. He is risen. And we see powerful display of power and earth shaking. We see the guards that were trying to keep him in the tomb fall down like dead men. And they say, go tell the good news to the rest of his followers that he is risen. What does that mean? What does that mean, not only for them 2,000 years ago, but what does that mean for us today, especially in the terms of our common humanity and our story? Well, first, quite simply, what it means is that everything this man said was true. That if he died and was raised to new life, that we have to take seriously everything that he taught, everything he showed us about God, everything he taught was true. And so we take seriously as Christians that we go back to the Gospels and say, we, need, we want to know what he said and what he taught us. Because he was raised from the dead. He definitely was God in the flesh, just like he told us. So we take seriously everything he said. But secondly, what it means for us is that we're forgiven. It means that God will not abandon us the forces of sin, evil, and death, that we did our worst to the God in the flesh. We threw everything we knew at him. Evil came crashing down on him. He should have given up on us. If there's anything worse you could do to God, I can't imagine it. We did everything to God, and yet he still comes back, and he says, I forgive you. Because Jesus has been raised from the dead, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we can be forgiven that he offers us forgiveness, and there's nothing that can change that. What we believe is we say that Jesus took our place, that he suffered for us, which means we, we were the ones that started sin, evil, and death. We started that wheel. We are the ones that should be suffering its consequences, and yet Jesus suffered the consequences of our sin, literal sin, nailing him to the cross. We are the ones that did it. He suffered and still offered forgiveness. He suffered what was due us, right? Does that make sense? I'm not trying to use church language. We are the ones that caused harm in the world. We should be suffering its effects, not God, but God suffered the effects out of love for us so that we are now forgiven everything we've done. Third, most importantly though, it's not just about forgiveness, it's about something much deeper. It's about our story and how we've never been able to free, be free from the power of sin, evil, and death. What we believe, if Jesus has been raised from the dead, we saw the encounter. We saw he seemingly got crushed by sin, evil, and death. But now if he's been raised from the dead, it means that that power did not crush him. It means that that power has no power over him. What it means, if I have a battle with the forces of sin, evil, and death, and I come back to new life, 
It means I won. We believe that Jesus Christ, the love of God in the flesh, won the victory over sin, evil, and death, and that we are the benefactors of that victory. What we believe, and friends, this is the critical part. Please don't miss it. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, that age-old problem from day one, that power hasn't been broken over us. That sin and evil will never have the pull that it had over us if we choose. If we go back and change the story in our lives and we choose God over ourselves. That power of sin, evil, and death is only broken if we say yes to Christ and we accept what he's done on our behalf. You might say, Pastor, the, the power of that wagon wheel seems pretty powerful today. I still see the effects of sin and evil this morning as we talked about in Sri Lanka. It's very real in the world today. Why is that if Christ has won the victory and the power has been broken? It's because in our lives, unless we go back and change the story, unless we say yes to God and accept his love, accept his forgiveness, and accept what we were created for, we are still keeping the wagon wheel of sin going. Does that make sense? Unless we change the story that Adam and Eve chose from the very beginning to choose against God, unless we choose Christ, the effects of sin and evil still have power over us. It's only when we unite ourselves with Christ that we're united with his victory. I'm not using too much church language, am I? Does that make sense? Basically, until you join the winning team, you're still going to be suffering the loss. Until you come to Christ and say, yes, I'm not going to choose my own way. I want your way. That is when the power of sin, evil, and death are broken in our lives. And we believe this in real ways. It's not just figurative language. What we believe is that when we come to Christ, we don't have to sin anymore. That gravity that's been pulling us towards sin and evil, that's broken. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean you're never going to have problems. Or it doesn't even mean that you might not sin in the future. But it means that that pull, that gravity towards sin that we could never break is broken. So that now we can choose through God's grace, through the grace of Christ, not to sin. It also means that even though we'll die because we're united with Christ, that we won't really die that we will come through death just like he has to new life. I hope you can see in a very real way that the age-old problem, that wagon wheel of sin, evil, and death, its power is broken if we unite ourselves with Christ. But it's still, as it always has been and always will be, up to us. That God won't force it on us. He simply invites us. He calls to us, and we have to choose. Are we going to choose our own way? Are we going to keep spinning our wheel of sin and harm and woundedness? Or are we going to choose God through Jesus Christ? Are we going to accept his love, accept what he created us for? And are we going to step into a new future with God? The choice is up to us, but I hope this morning, what you recognize is that 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's an act of love that saves us. That's the simplest way I can put it. He died and was raised to life out of love for all of us, out of love for creation. And because of that, we can change the same old story. He has broken the power of sin, evil, and death forever and ever. And that victory can be personal for us this morning. Those three small words, they really do change everything. So this morning, I want to ask you to trust those three words. And it's not just a choice we are going to make once in our lives, but we do have to choose for the first time, but it's a choice we will make every day after. That every day we have to choose to trust and to love and to serve Christ. That that pursuit, as she said, becomes the foundation of our lives, and that is the pursuit that we aim our entire life towards every day after. And then we know the power of those three words. As those servers come down, I'm going to ask you to, to make that choice this morning. For all of us, no matter how many years maybe we've been in church or if this is our first time in church, that we will choose or not choose the power of Christ. And this really is something that I believe that we can't just talk about, that we have to put some activity towards. God didn't just come down and talk about the problem, but he died in the flesh. And we need a physical way to respond. And so we partake communion after the sermon every week to respond to Christ's grace and love to us, and we remind ourselves of how the power is broken over us by his broken body and his shed blood. We believe you don't have to be a member of our church partaking communion with us. All that we ask is you make the choice to choose Christ and entrust yourself to him. And then we believe you come down and take of the bread and take of the cup and the grace and the freedom and the power of Christ is yours. That as long as we trust him, that we are set free. I'd also invite you to pray in an altar. You, of course, you can pray in your seat and, and talk to God about this and, and what it means in your life, but I, I'd really invite you to, as we, Rebecca so eloquently sang about, come to the altar and pray. Like those early disciples that we fall at Christ's feet and worship him and thank him for what he has done for us. I invite you to pray at an altar about anything God would be speaking to you about, how you can change the story in your life. If you'd like me to pray with you, I'd be more than happy to. If you'd like to be anointed on behalf of yourself or someone, I'd be happy to anoint you as well. But let us change the story in our lives by accepting the grace of Christ. On the night our Lord was betrayed, after giving thanks he broke the bread and said, this is my body, broken for you. Take, eat, whenever you do, in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the covenant, the promise. This is my blood shed for you and for the forgiveness of sins. Take, drink, whenever you do, in remembrance of me. 
If you come down, you're going to hear the words, the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. And I hope you feel the weight of that. And you remember that he did this out of love for us to set us free. And I hope you also remember that we are celebrating that he didn't stay in the grave, but he arose victorious. So when you're ready, come receive the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. Let's continue to pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful. We fall at your feet this morning thanking you that you stepped in front of what we deserved. You stepped in front of the power of sin, evil, and death to rescue us and to redeem us and to bring us back to yourself. And we can never stop singing your praises. We can never stop thanking you for that in our lives, Lord. And I pray that we, sitting here this morning, would change the story, that we would choose Christ, that we choose to follow you into new life, and that the power of sin and evil and death would be broken in our lives, that we would fear no longer, Lord, but that we would trust Christ every day and do your will in our lives, Lord. We depend on your grace and your strength for that. And may we live into the reality of the resurrection. May not, this not just be a one Sunday event for us in our lives, but that may this be a daily recurrence that we are celebrating the victory. We are celebrating the freedom that we have in you, Lord. And we thank you for that. We lift up those who are struggling this morning. We think of those uh, with physical ailments. We pray for uh, Brother James Bogan as he's in rehab. Heavenly Father, give strength and, and wisdom and, and grace to him, we ask. Uh, we lift up those who are are, uh, have friends or family members with cancer diagnosis, Lord, those uh, with friends that are recovering or family members recovering from surgery, Heavenly Father, those that are still dealing with the effects of our brokenness of humanity, Lord. But may we not be overburdened with those, but may we have our eyes set to the future where you will redeem all of creation and we will have a new heaven and a new earth. In the meantime, Lord, use us. May we live lives that reflect your love in the world. Help us as a church to be a blessing to those around us. Help us as a church to show the love of Christ, to show the freedom that we have to those around us and do ministries and, and be a blessing to those that need it the most in our neighborhood, Heavenly Father. May people see the love of Christ on this corner of Hazel Mill in Louisiana. May they, may they know the power of Christ in us by the way we live. Lord, we, uh, we lift up those around the world who are hurting or struggling today, and we especially think of those in Sri Lanka, those families who have lost loved ones, Lord, those who have suffered from this terrorist attack, and we pray that we would be the people that would respond to the powers of evil in the world appropriately, that we might show that the love of Christ has conquered all and that evil has no power over us. But bring comfort and healing to them, we ask. Lord, we thank you for what this day represents, and we commit our lives to you now. We love you so much. Help us to pray that prayer you taught us, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom 
and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Church family, would you stand with me? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. The first words that Christ spoke to his disciples after he had been raised from the dead is what? Do not be afraid. We have no reason to fear now because the power of sin, evil, and death has been broken over our lives. So may you go from this place, the people who are unafraid, for you have been set free by the power of the love of Christ. Trust in that power and share that power with all that you encounter. Thanks for listening in today. I hope God continues to speak to you in the days to come and that you find whatever is the next step for you in your life. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website at ashnaz.org or feel free to stop by the church anytime. We'd love to see you. God bless.